just gonna do one hand solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Winds of his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you all for your singing. All right, we'll have Pastor come up. All right, we're going to be in Revelation this afternoon. Revelation chapter number one. Remember last week when we said we were going to cover verses five and six? Well, I didn't make it. We're going to cover verse five. I thought we'd cover five and six. But Elijah, can you pass some things out for me? Yeah. Thank you, bud. <clears throat> like in a like in the airplane, brother Andy, like a flip down. Huh? That'd be slick, wouldn't a flip down? Yeah. Wouldn't it? Down there? Yeah. Yeah. Or flip up, I guess, would probably be easier because of how the low. But if you had a flip up and it was a pole that popped in, you had a little. Yeah. Yep. Right. A little vomit yeah, bag. Right, for the new building. We need flip-up tables behind the chairs. That would be pretty nifty. 
Like the ones that Brother Brooks had gave out years ago, he had one of those, and he was baptizing one of his kids in the ocean, and he's talking, and he reads the Bible verse, and he goes, all right, come on over, Kalen, he sets his Bible down, everyone's like, hey, this is floating, (laughs) right next to him, so he baptizes her, he grabs it, and takes it up with him. (laughs) (laughs) You heard the gasp out of everybody, that was funny. All right. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5. I'll read the verse and then we'll pray. Why don't we go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. We'll actually read 5 and 6 because they, uh, actually we'll read 4, 5, and 6 because that kind of gives us the context of verse 5 a little better. Actually, no, I'm just kidding. All right, verse 4 says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful book in which you've promised us if we read it and we hear it and we obey the things that are written in it, we will receive a blessing. And I pray, Father, that today we'd see some things and hear some things and understand some things that would be just that, a blessing to us. Father, I pray you bless our time. Uh, Just help us to have a wonderful day. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, in the, the, uh, I know I already said the plan was to cover verses 5 and 6, uh, but remember that Revelation specifically is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we started in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what are we doing? We're revealing Jesus Christ. He's being unveiled to us. We're also, he's revealing his plans to us for the future, which we don't have We haven't gotten into a lot of that yet, but we are seeing here in this verse particularly some things about Christ, um, and we'll see some next week also. Um, So, yeah, one of the primary purposes is to unveil his person to us. So, verse 5 begins, and from Jesus Christ. Remember last week we talked about verse 4, that the him which is and which was and which is to come in this passage, in that verse, He's talking about the Father, and then where it says, and from Jesus Christ, well, that's where we are today. He is the only one who could be called the faithful witness. Your first blank there is faithful. In John 18, 37, it says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Um, So, you know, he has come that he should bear witness. That's why he came the first time. He's the only one that qualifies for the title faithful witness. Proverbs 14.5, we see a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Christ never lied. According to Timothy, he cannot lie. And then he did commit some to be witnesses for him, but it wasn't until they received 
the Holy Ghost. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, Jerusalem and all Judea. Samaria, I missed that one. That one's in there, too. All right. The first begotten of the dead. We're going to deal with this. So it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And the first begotten of the dead. We're going to talk a little bit about this uh, begotten of the dead. I want us to understand that when the Bible uses the word begotten, you know, we often think of it as born. Uh, so when the Bible speaks of Christ as the only begotten son, a lot of times we've used, well, the almost only promised son. He was born. He's the only son born of God. And we come up with all these ways to try to explain it. But the Bible tells us what begotten is. And your first blank, well, actually the first one was dead, the first begotten of the dead. That's what it is. It deals with the resurrection. And uh, we're going to address a couple of things on that here in a few moments. But the word begotten has to do with the resurrection. Acts 13.33, if you want to, you can turn there. Acts 13.33. It says, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So the apostle, uh, well, no, Luke, not the apostle, but Luke, God used him to record the book of Acts. And in his record, through the Holy Ghost, he's telling us what that meant back in Psalm chapter 2, verse number 2, if I remember correctly, when he says, this day have I begotten thee, it wasn't in Psalm 2, 6 to 9, which we're going to go next. He tells us what that meant. He fulfilled it when he uh, raised him from the dead. Why don't we turn back to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter number 2, verses 6 and 9, <clears throat> 6 through 9. It says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Notice the capital S, we know it's talking about Christ. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So um, in that passage, what's kind of critical about understanding here is that there have been many who have misunderstood what begotten is, which we'll get to in a moment. So that, that Psalm chapter 2 is talking about when Christ sits on the throne. It, notice it says a king sitting on the throne in Zion talks about him. With the iron, the rod of iron. Well, we know when he sits on the throne during the millennial reign, he's going to rule with what? A rod of iron. Correct. In Colossians 1.18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So, it's uh, another thing that's important. Some others were raised from the dead. So, does that mean they were all begotten? Because technically, Elijah and Elisha raised two young boys from the dead back in the Old Testament. So technically, if we're talking about the firstborn from the dead, they would have been the firstborn from the dead, right? Well, no, that's not what it's talking about. Because 
The difference between just being raised from the dead and being begotten from the dead is everyone else who was ever raised from the dead, what's the difference between them and Christ? They died again. Right. Everyone else who was ever raised from the dead died again. When Christ rose from the dead, never to die again. He's the first begotten from the dead. The first one ever to raise that would never again die. Now you and I have been begotten from the dead. We're not the firstborn. Christ is. But you and I have been begotten from the dead because we learned several weeks ago, maybe months ago, in Ephesians chapter 2, what did it say? Ye who were dead in your trespasses and sins are quickened together with him. Our spirit has been made alive. It was dead, but now it is alive. And our spirit, while it was dead, now is alive, will never die again. We are alive forevermore. So the flesh will die. That has not been redeemed yet. That's the adoption. That is what's going to come, which we are predestinated for. But our spirit was dead. It is alive, and it will never die. Our soul will never die either, but our spirit will never die. What a blessing is that? I mean, just to think, you and I have been begotten from the dead. Christ died once. Everyone else who was raised from the dead died again. You and I are begotten, and we will spiritually never die. All right, understand that begotten and born are two different things. Some say that this word begotten, they liken it to the word born, and they put them together and kind of come to the conclusion, for instance, the Jehovah Witnesses, or I like what Brother Cottle calls them, the Jehovah False Witnesses, um, they tell you that Christ was created. That's what begotten is. They use that to claim that he's a created being, and he was created in Mary's womb, and he was born into the world. That's how they see it, others as well. Um, so they claim he wasn't in eternal, but that he was created. Um, so what does born mean? Well, it means brought forth. It's not created. The baby existed in the womb. Born part is just the being brought forth. Uh, it also is, um, where is it? Yeah, I just read it. Oh, yeah, brought forth or brought into life. You know, it was brought out of the womb. It does not mean created. Matthew 1.16 says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Jesus was simply born of Mary. He was not created by her. Uh, he was in her womb. The Holy Spirit put him there, and he was born. He would be the first of many brethren to come forth from the dead and rise into life. Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter number 8. And verse number 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he would be the firstborn. And then Acts 26. Acts is right before Romans. Shouldn't be too far back. Acts chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. says, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. 
that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So um, we see several scriptures there and there are many others that speak about him being the first. So what does the word beget mean? I know I kind of I told you what it points to in, in scripture, doctrinally speaking, but if we just break down what the word means, what is it? Well, uh, here we are. It means to cause or to produce an effect. Your blank there is to cause. It's a compound word. It's two words together. Uh, and the way that it kind of came about doesn't make perfect sense in our modern English. That's why we don't hear the word used all that often. But for instance, uh, we could say, look, there is a truck. I want to get that truck. Now I own and am driving the truck. So I be where I wanted to get in the truck that I now own and am sitting in the driver's seat driving down the road. So I be where I wanted to get. Well, Christ is the only begotten. He wanted to rise. He did rise. He's the first to rise, never to see death again. So uh, that's what we get here. I be getting that truck. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter number 1. <laughs> it says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God didn't say that to one of the angels. Verse 6, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. So, of the angels, he never said that you're my son, this day have I begotten thee. But when he did bring in the first begotten, when he did bring the first begotten into the world, then he said, let all the angels worship him. So, God brought the Son of God into the world. He did not create him. He already existed and then he brought him into the world through the womb of Mary. That's how Christ got here. Not created, but born, and then the first begotten from the dead. All right. So we understand Christ is the first begotten of the dead. As it says in our passage, we need to realize is that you and I, I know I already said this earlier, we've been born again. We are begotten from the dead. Paul said to the church in 1 Corinthians, uh, church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So they've been begotten through the gospel because they were born again, never to see death again. Ephesians 2.1-10. through 10. I, I referenced this passage already a little bit ago. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 10 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse number 3, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, 
Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say that we are going to, but it's speaking present tense. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't understand all that, but it's what the Bible says. Present tense. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So, we also are begotten. I already kind of touched on that, so I won't uh, get into a lot more at this point but one day our flesh will die but our spirit will not thank god for eternal life that's what that is really all right our verse number five says he is the prince of the kings of the earth a prince of the kings of the earth so um prophetically sometimes king david is used to picture christ so the prophetic picture of david that's the first blank there is David. In Psalm 89, if we turn over there, Psalm chapter 89, we're going to look at, we're not going to read a lot of it, but we will reference a few verses in there. Psalm 89 mentions David three times and uh, often has been considered to speak specifically of David, but I believe there's actually prophetic, uh, it's a prophetic picture here. So verse number three says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Okay. Verse number 20 says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. All right. And then verse 49 says, Lord, where are the, thy former loving kindness which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? All right. So we see David mentioned three times here in this psalm. Now... Later in the passage, we see three titles mentioned. In Psalm 89, verse 27, it says, Also, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. That sound like David, knowing what we know? Who is the firstborn? Christ is called the firstborn from the dead, right? Or firstborn of the dead. And then who's going to be higher than all the kings of the earth? We know that it's Christ. And then in verse 49, uh, no, verse 37, sorry, it says, It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. So we see him referenced here in this passage. I put it in the notes tonight. As the faithful witness, firstborn, we're going to say first begotten, and then the prince of the kings, higher than the kings of the earth. Um, and notice that word selah. I put that in the, on the page here, I think. Yeah, selah. What's important about that, I believe every time we see Selah in a psalm, it points to it being a messianic psalm, which would make sense when we consider this in light of Revelation chapter 1. That would certainly fit and be fitting. So, Prince of the Kings of the Earth. One day he is going to rule on the throne. Why is Selah dealing with that? Selah means rest. What's going to happen during the thousand-year millennial reign? We're going to rest. It's going to be different. The earth will rest. All right. Jesus Christ is the king of number one, 
the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. Matthew 2, 2 says, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So the king of the Jews. Number two, he is the king of Israel. John 1, 49, Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. So he's the king of Israel. Number three, he's the king of glory. Psalm 24, 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, lifted up, I think it's supposed to say, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Number four, he is the king of the saints. In Revelation 15, 3, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints. And lastly, he is the king of, any guesses? Kings, right, the king of kings, absolutely. Revelation 19, 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So he is the king of kings. Squire Parsons has a song, He is the king of kings. Can you hear that one? I think forevermore to reign or something like that. I don't listen to Squire Parsons. But. What are the kings of the earth? Well, oop. Oh, I guess I'm putting it on there. What are the kings of the earth? Psalm 2, 1 through 2 says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, uh, So those that rule the Gentile world would be the kings of the earth. We'll look at next week. One day, during the millennial reign, we will be made kings and priests. That's a pretty profound truth, but that's next week's. So we'll talk about that next Sunday, probably. All right, letter, uh, I say letter. I don't put letters in yours, do I? So next we see he loved us. So and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John three sixteen. We can turn over to this one. It's not far from Revelation. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 16. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a pretty tremendous verse. Romans 5, 8, maybe you know this one, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. So the only reason we love him is because he loved us first. And then lastly, we know this because he washed us from our sins in his own blood. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Uh, we'll look at these last three verses. Colossians 1.14. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. I try to keep the afternoon somewhat 
short because I know it's been already been a full day and we just ate lunch and sometimes that can make it tough to keep our eyes open. So, Colossians, <laughs> Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In 1 John 1, 7. See, Elijah's over here yawning away. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. And Titus 3, 5. You don't have to turn to this one. I'll just read it here. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So what tremendous blessings we learn about Christ in this verse. He's a faithful witness. Uh, well, I closed my passage here. He is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. He loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. What a blessing. That is, early on, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. We sure serve a great Savior. We have much to be thankful for. So. All right, well, I'll go ahead and close us in a word of prayer. We can fellowship for a little bit as we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity and for the privilege that we had to be here and in your house this morning. I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray we saw some things, had some, uh, I pray we've gained some understanding. Maybe we realize some things about our Savior and who he is and what he's done for us um, through this verse. And, and we're only just beginning to scratch the surface, the surface of the things we're going to learn in Revelation. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your Son, our Savior, our Lord. Thank you for what he did for us, what he's doing for us every single day. Pray we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would love you all the more and live for you with a greater fervor and desire and zeal than ever before. We love you. We ask these things in